You're listening to Seek Bytes, a podcast for software engineers by software engineers. Today's episode covers a major telecom outage in Australia, and we discuss incident management. We talk about the OpenAI Dev Day and the exciting new features announced for ChatGPT. And we end on data backup horror stories and the hard drives that could delete all of your data unannounced. So today on the podcast, we don't really have a specific topic. It's uh, it's another mixed bite episode where we talk about some hot topics and some just a, really just a mixed bag of things. So we're not going to deep dive into anything specific. Um, it's more just kind of a round table of, of chatter about kind of what's what's going on. So the the first thing I wanted to talk about, and I think it it'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it, is uh, recently here in Australia, Optus, the second biggest uh, what telco provider, mm-hmm. uh, was down for what like eight hours from four in the morning to fourteen. Fourteen hours. Ten, ten million customers affected. That's insane. That um, is insane. That's yeah. That's, that's second largest. And so, and do you guys know? Was it just like the mobile like cellular? That was affected. That's what I understood. I'm I'm fairly confident that people's home internet was down as well because we had engineers that weren't able to come online and work. They had to go to a cafe to work. So I would assume ah, that it was not just the mobile network. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, mm. and, and they I, I saw that there were like Optus shops, like just no one was there because <laughs> like obviously people are going to go in for support and you know it'll just be flooded. Mm. Um, but I think that is. Really, we're talking about like incident management, right? We're talking about communication and how to manage incidents. And and in this specific incident, which is really like catastrophic, this is like the worst thing that you could imagine. Your platform being down for the, the federal government has announced an investigation into it. So, like, what? imagine imagine your platform having such a catastrophic catastrophic failure that your nation's government <laughs> launched an investigation into into wow. the impact and and the cause. I mean that 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 really is like a Thanos level threat. Oh yeah, someone like, snapped, and half the world's communication, half of Australia's communication went down. I'd hate to be the person on that get blame. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's the thing. So now we're talking about like specul. This is all speculation here. We absolutely do not know what happened. But what do, do you guys think? It was something that happened internally that happened, or I know people have said hackers and all that stuff. I, I no I, no idea. I'll pull up the the information. I, I saw okay. um, an article this morning. I. I foolishly didn't save the link um, <laughs> I got the impression that it was software related uh, I, I yeah. thought that it would have to be hardware related for, for it to be like well, actually no I guess it may, would make more sense for it to be software related for it to be so uh, widespread uh-huh. right? for it to affect such a large part of the network um, I'll, I'll find that link yeah, continue yeah. That's, I cer- that's crazy. I what? certainly don't believe it was someone hacking into something I don't know I've just particularly working in a tech company like Having something being hacked to that degree and causing everything to shut down feels unfathomable to, to me. Like something must have like I just feel like even if someone somehow hacked Seek, you, like your services would be set up in a way that no, nothing should break to that degree. One would hope. One, One would, would hope, hope, right? Melbourne's rail network and hospitals were impacted as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. damn, not the hospitals. We were just talking this morning about universities have backbone infrastructure. So if you go on mm. um, speed test on it or whatever and you, and you test your speed, when mm-hmm. you're connected to a university network, it'll show up as the name of the university as the ISP. Like mm. they are their own ISP. They have crazy fast internet speeds. Wow, interesting. Because well, they need to, but also because like they were one of the founding like in, uh, 
essentially it's one of the industries responsible for you know building all of the network in the first place so they essentially you know they got dibs on the network <laughs> from day one um but i was i was curious like uh, what happens in this kind of situation who would be impacted i, I wouldn't have imagined that hospitals would be impacted i would think that if univers i would have thought that if universities had backbone infrastructure access that hospitals would mm-hmm. doesn't so seem to backbone be backbone infrastructure access what do, what do you mean by that so like they're not going through a service provider they've got mm. their own like they own a part of the network right. that connects them to the rest of the the world essentially mm. i see wow okay yeah it looks like um what people are saying is the likely culprit is a firmware update to the border gateway uh, border gateway protocol Oh, which is responsible for basically internet traffic. It's, it's, it's responsible for working out what the most efficient route is from one piece of the network to another. And so uh, according to their engineers, because uh, their updates usually happen to 4 a.m. sort of in the morning, and this is when, roughly when it started, it's assumed to be an update-related thing. Um, I would I would assume, knowing what I know about you know engineering, probably someone, probably someone uploaded a misconfigured network configuration yeah. file, uh, whatever it is, uh, the things that they can determine from the publicly available information is that it was a flood of the bo- uh, border gateway protocol. Mm-hmm. So they haven't ruled out if it's malicious or not, but Optus have said um, that there's no indication of it. Yeah, but it seems unlikely. I just, doesn't matter. Yeah, seems unlikely, but who knows? If it was a mistake and not malicious, somebody needs smoke tests. But what's your DR on something like that? You're like, oh... A, a, a key piece of your infrastructure goes down and it's like, well, we don't really have a replacement for this one key piece of infrastructure. So mm. if it goes down, it's like, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I mean, panic, everything's on fire. Yeah. And and it is going to be a costly day, not even just from today, not, you know, not having cover systems and stuff, but just like the ramification of the future, like the, the image of what it might look like for something to be down. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It's, it's it's certainly not a, not a good look. I, I do hope that they are able to, you know, respond back in a, in a good way. <laughs> like, it, it, it does suck to see when, when, when something tanks so hard. Uh, mm. It does make you think, though, like, uh, how different it is working on systems that don't have that kind of negative impact. Like, if our, if mm. our entire system goes down, people can't apply for jobs, yeah. look for jobs. Post can't, jobs. Can't post ads for their jobs, you know. Um, Seek will obviously lose money, which is awful for Seek. And, you know, yeah. for the people looking for jobs, that would be an awful experience. Mm-hmm. There is real customer mm. and people impact, but it's yeah. not, I'd, I'd hope, thankfully, it's it's not like a medical mm. industry. Like yeah. communication is a core piece of like infrastructure to society. That's right. Yeah. Like other, other people's businesses will still continue even if Seek went down for 14 hours, right? Because yep. they, it, I... Imagine <laughs> like, if a bank went down for 14 hours. Yeah. You couldn't make transactions, any transactions that went through just mm-hmm. like... And from what I understand for banks, if, if they go down for more than 30 minutes mm-hmm. in an unplanned outage, they have to report that to some body in Australia. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 should, I sh- should know. Um, I've been told before, but I've forgotten. I'm sure that telecommunications would have... They would have had to. Almost well. certainly. Yeah. Mm. Um, I remember because I used to work at Telstra and I, I recall some of the um, scripted things that you have to say whenever you're talking to customers. Um, they, yeah, they would have to have some kind of reporting thing because they, they, have, uh, they support infrastructure for medical devices that have alarms built on the network. Anybody uh, in the know or keeping up to speed with 
the latest developer conferences would have heard that OpenAI had their first developer conference this week. Uh, some pretty interesting stuff coming out from that. One, I think probably one of the big ones is, uh, well, actually, I think a few of these are pretty big. They're, they're introducing uh, custom GPT. So you're uh, for organizations that have large proprietary data sets that want to be able to produce their own chat GPT, their own GPT. Um, you can, or I'm not, I don't think that you can do it now, soon, because they just mentioned that they are working on it. So it's in development, the ability to create custom models. So that's pretty exciting for all the uh, companies that have proprietary data. Mm. Like we talk about all the time as engineers, how, how amazing it would be to be able to point chat GPT at our own code bases and then have it um, give us, you know, infer what the code should do, uh, what the next steps should be in the work that we're doing. Um, and, you know, we've got uh, GitHub Copilot. Like, there are tools that we can use, and, and they work pretty well. And when you know how to manipulate them to get them to produce um, some usable output, um, but I think that would pale in comparison to something that actually understands how we write code, the way that we write code, the way that our infrastructure is set up. Because I, I, I imagine, without being an AI expert, that uh, that kind of model should be able to... Um, rationalize how you're essentially identify how your infrastructure is connected if it's able to look at all your different code bases would it not be able to see the configuration of them and map you know endpoints to endpoints and oh, i can see you're calling this api i can see your configuration points to this uh, endpoint i can see that that uh, system is behind that endpoint so it essentially can infer what your entire network looks like across all of your microservices i mean i would hope that that's the outcome that's what that's what i imagine when i see custom models against proprietary data that would be really cool. Could, and when I hear that, I'm like, so if 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 the AI, if you know, let's let's say we're in the world of this this future, it's been given, and we're working at a company that has done that, and they the AI knows all of your code, all of your infrastructure. Surely you could then be like, so where are my security vulnerabilities? Like, what what inefficiencies do I have? How could I make this better? Like, can it can it do that, or is it? just predictive still. Well, yeah, well, that's what I'm... Because th- you said, like, it'll, it'll understand our code. Is that is that the right wording? I've always thought that, like, it doesn't understand the code. It's just, like, you, you're giving it some information, and if you ask it a question, it'll spit that information back out. Well, it probably it's a good point, right? Like, it's it's worth highlighting that it's a language model. Like, that's right, yeah. It's a... It's, it's, it's a it's network. T- it's a weighted network, or oh, I don't know exactly what an LLM is, but what I know about n- neural networks, I studied a little bit of AI and I was AI tutor at uni for reference, so I have some idea about what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I'm it, glad somebody does, because I definitely <laughs> do not. It's, uh, on some level, it's essentially trying to figure out what the highest weighted response is, right? right Whatever yeah. the algorithm underneath is doing to figure out, you know, that can be, there's many different ways to achieve that. That's a very high level summary of what, <laughs> what an AI model is trying to do. It's trying to figure <laughs> out the best weighted response, right? And these ones are focused on language, so it's, it's understanding how to communicate information in a way that makes your brain say, yes, that is what I want. That's how we know that, you know, when people experiment with these things, they, they, they fall into these weird loopholes where they think that things are true that aren't because you've convinced them that's what you want to know. So, yeah, when I, when I say, like, oh, it, it could understand your network, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not insinuating that it can understand the complexity of engineering, like network engineering, more so that it, it can connect dots and make inferences between syntactical similarities. So I imagine that it would be able to determine where these things are the same or similar, like endpoints having the same URL, whatever, yeah. uh, 
these three systems all share the same endpoint and they're all calling that system. They all have a gateway that's called contract gateway. Yep. Okay, cool. I can I can assume that this is a system that works on contracts because that's what language is, right? It's it's all about mm-hmm. inference. So I when I yeah when I say that I imagine that it could understand the network, I, I mean that I imagine it would be able to infer. Um, when multiple systems are talking about another system. Yeah, that's how I see it as well. I see it more as about like, I, I guess it's more like the documentation side and more like I can ask it something and it'll, it can tell me it back rather than mm. having to find the right person and the right team and the right something. Like it's it's just a, for, for, for me, I see it as some quick way to get information. In saying that though, like the, the interact between people and teams I think is also very important I'd hate to see it kind of uh, like disband like to see people use that more often than just like trying to interact with the other engineers around them because I think that is such an important part of building a, a good engineering team and engineering company is that interaction between your engineers and not just them talking to software Absolutely. It should be a resource, though. And I I say that in terms of like good documentation, right? We'll never replace talking to other engineers, but you you reach a point of scale where you can't do that. Like not, you know, if 100 new starters join, it's like, well, they can't go and all speak to Jim over in sales to find out. It's like, oh, what's our most popular product like that's what documentation FAQs how do you know to talk to Jim and that's where I find that's, it, yeah. that, Jim. that's where I think that these Jim custom Jim. models will He's become Jim. <laughs> that's where I think these custom models will become much more um, much more useful uh, than the more generic chat GPT things that just yeah. has access that everybody like same information that everybody else has access to when these things are fine-tuned or you know they're only uh, learning against a data set that is very specific like all of our code then it should be it should be able to, or what I would find to be the most beneficial would be telling me who owns a system, because this is something I've seen evolve in three or four different ways over the five years that I've been at Seek. Who owns what system? As teams move around, and you know the ownership of things changes, and systems become divided, and you know we'll put this part of the system over here, this part of the system over here, two new teams. If the documentation isn't immediately updated, or until it's updated, how do you know who owns that system? A, a, like something like ChatGPT should be able to work that out from a combination of things i imagine like if it has access to slack and it has access to github it can you know determine who's talking about the github who who's been linking the github the most give you a stack of like these are the people who talk about the repo the most here's the three repos that do the thing you're asking about you know maybe it won't give you the exact person to talk to but at least get you 90 percent of the way there save you that time and i think that's those kinds of interactions are where people will probably find the most like not cost cutting, but efficiency gains from something like a custom GPT model is mm-hmm. it's access to information, like not having to write the documentation about your system because people don't use your docs anymore. They just go to the model and say, hey, who owns X? Well, I need to understand X. It'll, it'll give you or it should give you a very uh, easy to understand output and mm. hopefully something that is more specific to you that you can interact with and say, oh, I don't quite understand that. Can you go a little bit more, uh, a little bit deeper in detail on that thing? Which I think like documentation is never going to be like that. We're never going to have docs that can expand and shrink based on the viewer. Has OpenAI got anything else there um, planning? Any other like cool release showcases? Yeah, I think another big one that I, I imagine the... This one's probably relevant to anyone who's interested in ChatGPT, not just engineers. Uh, the new GPT-4 Turbo, uh, I think it more than quadruples the, uh, what is it, page size, token size? 
It has a 100, I'll, I'll read it because it'll yeah. be easier for me to read from OpenAI themselves. GPT-4 Turbo is more capable and has knowledge of world events up to April 2023. That's a big one. That's right, yeah. Having access to as close as possible to the latest information is a, is a, a huge deal for these things. Mm. Um, it also has a 128K context window, so it can fit the equivalent of more than 300 pages of text in a single prompt. So something that Holy a lot of people moly. have had issues with is the longer you talk to a thing, the more weird it gets or it eventually reaches a limit where it, you know, you, it can't hold any more information. It, you, you've reached your allotted, allotted memory for this, uh, your instance of the model to grow, right? Um, so That's huge. It's massive, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> what, what was it before? So do I know? do have a table. Give me one second. Because that is a lot of pages. It's pretty massive. Yeah. <laughs> so th GPT 3.5 uh, had 16, almost 16,500 tokens. GPT 3.5 Turbo, 4,000 tokens. Uh, GPT 4, so what people are on until this week when GPT 4 Turbo uh, came out. And I think it's still beta, so people can like... Um, there's a argument that you provide to the API to tell it that you want to use the, the new Turbo. Um, the GPT-4 32K version had 32,000 tokens. Otherwise, it was just, just over 8,000 tokens. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about a jump from 32,000 tokens for like the already increased GPT-4 up to 128,000 tokens. And so what was it again wow. for the basic version if so you're for, the, for the average the person three it was, version of gpt 3.5 i believe it is uh you, that that so gpt 3 this is just showing turbo so sixteen thousand tokens but gpt 4 non non you know non-enhanced is eight thousand tokens eight thousand one hundred ninety two so it's massive it's it's a huge it's increase a very big jump, yeah yeah if you were on the 8k it's uh, more than 10 times <laughs> wow that's pretty cool pretty mm. spicy i've got to imagine though that the average user does not need that much. No, they have no. Of course, yeah, definitely not the average user. But certainly, companies are going to want something that big. An average user probably doesn't have the funds to to pay for pay, pay for that every single month, right? Well, it's funny that you talk about pricing because of this uh, because of the optimizations they're able to make to allow this to. Uh -huh. uh, allow these enhancements it's actually three times cheaper <laughs> okay wow that's yeah. that's four turbo a three times cheaper price for input yeah. tokens and two times cheaper price for output tokens what in the world compared to gpt4 yeah so just from four to for turbo it's three times cheaper for input and two times cheaper for output <laughs> we're giving you a better product and we're going to make it cheaper absolutely that's i mean that's insane. what that's what you want that's what upgrades should be yeah, it yeah. shouldn't just be the same thing but more expensive it should be a better thing and cheaper mm -hmm. this is why you want this one yeah don't don't follow the playstation model where you go from the ps2 to the ps3 and suddenly it's two to three times expensive and nobody wants it yeah. they learned that lesson <laughs> I, I i was talking about this just the other day i i remember the ps3 being very expensive like way more expensive than it should be it was a thousand dollars Holy moly. At launch. Wow. Wow, even the PS5 was less than that. Yeah. Is that the most That's recent? crazy. Yeah. I can't remember if that was counting for inflation or not, but even if it was for inflation, if it was without inflation, that's bonkers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's assume that, that was in, with inflation. $1,000 today for a console is... It's still insane because the huge. PS5 yeah. still launched at, what, five six $600? Mm. Like, mm. that's... People scalping it for less than $1,000. Yeah, that's right. I have one last little topic. I, I didn't want it to be a big thing, but I just, uh, I read this article a little while ago about, uh, what is it? Um, 
uh, SanDisk. They have these hard drives, which, um, I mean, they're a very big hard drive company, right? Uh, but they have this specific model of hard drive, which uh, has have it's been having problems where out of the blue, it will just delete all of the data on the on the hard drive. Whoa. With, with nothing prompted, like you just plug it in and it'll just be gone. Uh, and they apparently have said very little to it. They said we'll fix it and stuff, but none. apparently still to this day, they still have and sell those hard drives. Um, was it a, a very specific hard drive it's model? Like, yeah, yeah. It, 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 was this just a flaw on all of their tech? It's not, that's wild. It's, it's certainly not in all of it. No, it's a, I think it's a very specific model. Um, and, you, and you can certainly look it up. There's, there's articles about this. Um, and I, I just thought it was crazy that like that is something out there that happens. And it made me think about how I store my data. And I guess the question to you guys is how do you guys store your data? Do you still use physical hard drives or have you resorted to using cloud storage? And and do you think that do you think cloud storage will ever just replace hard drives completely? I have a horror story from talking about data storage stuff. Okay, <laughs> is it a university related one? Because I've got no. so many in the bank. <laughs> no, I I had uh, a spin disk in our family computer that we had like all through high school. It had all my like photos with friends, whatever else you know. Spin disk is that just a hard drive? Like just a hard disk. Like, like okay. I, I had a hard disk yeah. that was a spinning disk, so not an SSD. I you know what I mean? See. So that's because it's an important part of the conversation. It is, yep. It's important. Yep. This is a mechanical hard drive. <laughs> There's a reason why I mentioned that it's a mechanical hard drive. So we had this hard drive for years. Um, you know, we got a new family computer, and I took that hard drive into my personal computer when I eventually got one when I was like 17, 18, or whatever. Um, and I kept that hard drive for a decade more, a long time. It lives in all my machines. And I never thought about it, just never occurred to me to have a backup ever. <laughs> That, that is the backup, isn't yeah. it? I mean. <laughs> and one day in a very long, spicy LAN session, like three-day long, you know, hanging out at the friend's place all weekend long kind of thing, I just started smelling something burning. And I lost 10, 15 years of my life. Like hundreds, I used to write music and write songs. I, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs that I'd written, recordings that I'd done, photos with friends, yeah. girlfriends and stuff. And yeah, all gone overnight. And I still don't take backups of my daughter. Wow. Um, what I've decided is just don't have important data. Oh, I mean, that's that's the solution, right? Lower the bar. <laughs> don't no. hold on to anything. I use the Google I use the Google auto-upload thing, so all my photos automatically go up to Google now. So yeah. I, it's honestly, I don't have to think about data that much anymore. Um, anything that I find really critical, I just automatically just turn on auto-updates, basically. Yeah. I'm the uh, same. Like, I, I just, I have no real need for hard disks anymore because, yeah, these, these cloud storages hold so much of my my life and my data and I can access them anywhere mm. the only time maybe I can see it being useful is in a scenario like this where we're recording something to a physical hard disk right if we lose it we're in trouble well this one's not a <laughs> hard disk in the the sense that it's it's, it's a storage device yeah, it's not SD. a physical disk that's spinning D definitely, definitely. Which, you know, and, and I, I had a very similar thing happen to Seamus, actually. I was, uh, I recall that I must have been around 16, 17. There was a LAN at, at my house and I plugged in this external hard drive, which I'd installed a bunch of games on and I was super excited to play. And then I needed to plug it into somebody else's machine. I think we were doing the whole thing where you, you install games on Steam onto one thing and then you can just copy them to all of the other devices as opposed to downloading it 15 times. And suddenly it was just like, wait, it disappeared. Unplug it, plug it back in. Nope. It, what, uh, uh, it, it's gone. Two terabytes gone. What? No. 
Ah, yeah, that's the worst feeling when you when you know it's gone and there's no way to like get it back. And, yeah. and and you're just like, what was on that drive? Now I have no idea. And I remember taking it to a hard drive recovery specialist just to to get a quote because I was like, I don't know, maybe there was something important on there because I think there had been photos and other things on there, but I was like, I just don't know now. And the the quote was something in the vicinity of a thousand dollars to fix mm. it because <laughs> there was. They had a look and they were like, look, you, some specific part has broken. And in order to replace that, we have to do it in a clean room. We have to take apart mm. the whole thing. And they're like, it's just unfortunate. And they're like, so we can do the recovery, but they're like, how important is the data? And I was like, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty confident it is not that important, but I'll never know. If, if you're at a stage where like, I don't know what was on it, then it probably wasn't that important. Yeah. I definitely know though, there, like I've lost photos and other things just through the years of, you know, moving houses, moving devices. And so now I'm, I'm very similar in that I keep a lot of the important stuff on, on the cloud. And it's, you know, it's so if, if, if I lost my phone today or if my phone, you know, broke and I couldn't get any data off it, it's like all the, the photos are just backed up to Google. And, you know, I, I take a lot of photos of kids and dogs and other stuff. And it's like not important to anyone else, but to me, you know, to be able to, to say that is, is, you know, important. But then um, I've still got a ton of physical hard drives. Like mm -hmm. I've got a physical hard drive enclosure sitting there with, I don't know what's on it, but it's not plugged into anything and I never use it because the effort to use it as ridiculous as it sounds is, is just like they're physical disks that take time to spin up and then loading things off it is incredibly slow. So slow. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a, a 64 gigabyte USB 3 or USB-C is, is just instant yeah. by comparison. And it's just not going to randomly break because the spinning disk has, has failed. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, yeah, I don't think people understand how expensive uh, data recovery is. You were talking about you got a quote for like a thousand dollars or something. I don't think you can get data recovery done cheaply. I, I worked in IT for most of a decade before I started in software, and one of the more common things is I've lost my data, and the answer is almost always there's almost nothing anyone can do unless you're prepared to pay like way more than you would possibly imagine for it. It's just because of the reasons like clean room and stuff like that, you know? Ah. Do, do they bump up the price for sentimental reasons as well? It's like, well, it'll cost me $300 to do it and it'll cost me an extra 600 because you really want me to do it. 100%, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> what I mean. It's like it feels borderline extortionist. Unless you're a corporation and it's like critical business data and you can justify like the loss of this data is, is more expensive to us yeah. than that, then you justify it. I don't think there is a, um, like non corporate level data recovery that anyone would be able to justify paying for. Like you would only, you would only pay for the recovery if it's for legal reasons. That's right. Like mm -hmm. There's like a will. Someone's wills on it, right? Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. It's the only way, the only way you would pay for it. Uh, I would have like, if, you know, if that was the cost, if I knew there'd been critical stuff on there, I, you know, you would have had to have done that. Yeah. So I, I did work experience at a company uh, when I was a teenager and I was, you know, working the IT department. I was, I was there for a week. It was very exciting. Um, you know, I've always been a huge IT nerd, so I just love anything with computers, always have since I was like five, right? So for me, I was kind of like, you know, this is getting a taste of industry and, and kind of like, you know, this could be a career and whatnot. So it was very exciting. And, and one of the things they showed me was the, the server room. And this was this massive cold server room. And it was like, yeah, all, all the different servers. And they used hard drive tapes to do backups. And so they did nightly backups on every single server. And then they also did weekly and monthly backups that would then go off site. So I did these things. I was, remember doing these things. Yeah. And so 
what would happen is there were these massive thick drives. They kind of looked like old VCR tapes. Yeah. And, and you would just literally – The handle. Just a slot. Yeah, there, there was just – well, these ones didn't even have a handle. The, um, if you imagine like a floppy disk, it was like – 10 floppy stacked disks. Stacked together? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're kind of like stacked together. So it, w- it was maybe an inch thick and like four inches wide and it would, you know, you would just shove it in and then you would click a button and it would just clone all of the data. It would just wipe all it. 10 gigs it. of that data. Well, <laughs> it was, these were, some of them were pretty big. Some of them pretty big. The tape drives? Do you remember the old, like? Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. Um, they had like a magnetic tape in there and what would happen is, yeah, you just went through and it was literally, um, you would just go and each each day of the week they had a different box. So it didn't really matter what disc it went on, but you had to get the right day of the box out. So it was like, so if they had an outage, you knew what day you could go to. Mm. And if I remember correctly, they only read sequentially, like, it could, it could only read and write data like in and out. Like it just, it read in and it read out. Something like yeah, that. Like right. there was no, I, I can't remember there being, at least the disks that I was working with at the time, I remember it being just sequential. So it's just as fast as possible, just take this data go, yeah. and just direct copy and then you can direct copy out. There was well, no like seeking capability. Quick. Yeah. Well, quick for the time, right? Well, even still, I mean, if, if you compared trying to copy that amount of uh, data with software, say dragging to from one internal hard drive to another internal hard drive, significantly faster than that. Mm. So especially when we're talking about the amount of data, you know, gigabytes worth of data for, for some of these drives. So that was really, really, really cool. And one of the servers went down at one point, which was, you know, um, funny for me now in retrospect, but at the time, you know, obviously there was a little bit of... Um, stuff going on and and for whatever reason the server was called freight train and so they were like freight train <laughs> is down freight train is down and i remember one of the it uh people got a phone call and somebody was like is freight train on excel yet and then they hung up and they were like what <laughs> so was, I, I have no idea the context behind the person who called but it was just it became like a running joke for the rest of the week they're like hey is uh freight train on excel yet so but hard drive backups you know they um you know, this was, uh, it was a, a printing company. So they, you know, had, I don't know, however many hundred staff with different computers. And so, yeah, all of their stuff was uh, centralized on the servers. So all of the users would log in and then they would access their, you know, partitioned bit of user drive on the, the Windows servers. And so everything would get backed up. And then, you know, every night that's that's what they did. So at like five o'clock or whatever, they'd go in and shove all the, the tapes in and then you just go from server to server and go click, 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 click on the physical button to start the recording. And then the next morning you would take them all out and put them in Monday's box and then, you know. I've Tuesday. got friends that do offsite backups. I've got friends that do those things that like keep catalogued data. And I just, life's too short. <laughs> I just don't, I don't have enough stuff. That, I mean, I moved from like, I moved a, uh, across country when I was, I've done it a couple of times actually. The first time I did it, uh, I was in 18, 19 and all my things fit into the back of my car. And I had a sports car. I had like a James Bond, coupe, long bonnet, two seater. Like, so saying all my stuff in my car was like guitar, skateboard, some clothes, my Xbox, my laptop. <laughs> yeah. That was like everything I owned, right? So for me, yeah, for me, it's, it seems, seems quite overkill. I don't think I could, I don't think I would find it necessary to hold on to anything that required offsite backups. Data retention changes drastically at scale, right? 
like drastically it changes its scale. And I think that's true even at an individual level. So for me, for example, I don't have a lot of critical information. I might have a lot of different small things, but the size of that data is so insignificant that I can rely on a streaming service. I could have a small amount of very large things, that solution doesn't work anymore. Like if I do YouTube videos and I maybe make one video a month, but that video is an hour long, that's a massive, that's a collection of large individual files that I'm combining into, into a project, right? They need to be kept together. They need to be organized in a way that the tool I'm using, like Adobe or whatever, can read them because um, it, it you know, catalogs your files and stuff like that. And I used to do YouTube and it's sort of coming back to me now. I'm having these like, light bulbs. Like, yeah, I used to manage my data because you, you reach a point where you need to uh, organize or oh, these disks were for these projects or these disks were from this year or this month. And that, again, that changes its scale. I mean, Linus Tech Tips do videos about how they catalog and manage all of their data and that kind of shows you um how how extreme that specific use case can be like video editing mm -hmm. they have whole servers of, of what's above petabyte zettabyte something i don't know how big does a kind of server get like if extremely we will make new new names we, will, we right. will make that's what we do petabyte you know petabyte didn't exist before we needed the name to wow to come up with how do we describe thousands of terabytes what peta I'm, I'm not sure that you know necessarily related to technology but those those names come about because we need a way of describing numbers that are so large before we just didn't have a reason to name it so the question is when will we get to one googleplex of data <laughs> that's the one googleplex yeah soon <laughs> so a Googleplex, if if I recall co correctly, is a number with a hundred zeros. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, a digit and then a hundred zeros behind it is a Googleplex. What about so, zero with a hundred zeros behind it? Uh, <laughs> data loses all meaning at that point. To yeah. Me. I mean, it, it it doesn't even need to to get to that point. That like, if you start talking about you know things of scale, the human mind just doesn't really comprehend it. Mm -hmm. you no, know, if, you, if you talk about um, a million seconds versus a billion seconds, right? Like, it, uh, if I recall, uh, a million seconds is something in the vicinity of, you know, a number of days, right? Mm -hmm. Like 27 days or something. I could double check this quite easily, but I'm just going to, yeah. you know, say it incorrectly and then somebody will correct me later. Um, but then once you start, start talking about a billion seconds, though, just that singular jump, you're now in the number of years. Yeah, right. And like, so the scale, you know, so if you then go ab above that and you're like a trillion, a quadrillion, you know, a, a pentillion, you're like, so a, a pentillion bytes of data, mm -hmm. like I I have no concept of the scale of that anymore. But if you said, oh, that's um, a thousand hours of 8K video, I'd be like, oh, okay, I have a concept of that now. Yeah, definitely. You know, because I can, I can deal with a thousand hours of a certain type of video. But when you're like, you know, a, a petabyte of data, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Anyway, that that was a super interesting conversation. I just wanted to bring that up to get your thoughts. Did you have anything more you want to say about it, uh, Seamus or, or Elliot? Don't uh, be like me, monkey see, monkey do. You know, uh, you back should up your back data. up your data, hundred percent. Don't don't live that pain. I, it's happened to me more than once. I was just that's the most horrifying story. But uh, yeah, <laughs> after you've lost data a couple of times, um, you you do what I do and you go full nomad and you say nothing matters. I don't care. Or you you really should back it up. I um I used to do a lot of backing up. You know, um, I did I did RAID zero for a little while where it was just like the same file was kind of split in half across two. It's even riskier because now you got two failure points. Yes, exactly. And I got burnt by that, and so I was like, ah, no, need RAID one. It's got to be RAID one. You've got one direct copy. But you know, it once you it's it's a scale thing, right? When you're talking about a very small amount of data, one copy is 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 kind of fine because it's usually quite cheap. But then 
you know, suddenly you're like, oh, if I need multiple copies and, you know, it's it depends what you need it for and it depends how important the data is to you. And I think, you know, no matter how no matter how much time and effort you put into preparing it and trying to make sure that, you know, everything is recoverable. It's like until something explodes and, you know, the worst happens, it's like, well, you won't really know how effective those backups are. And I recall having to go and get a backup at one point and I'm like, I don't even know where I put that. I was yeah. like, uh, the, the, it should be on a drive somewhere and then searching for hours to be like, oh, I don't know, can't have been that important. More data, more problems. Yes. Yeah. Too much stuff. I just... All right, let's cut it there. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next time on the Seek Bites podcast. Uh, I was Will. I'm Seamus. And I'm Elliot. See you next time. Bye-bye. Cheers.